Welcome into the Duck Territory Podcast Basketball Edition. First, is this our first podcast of the year? Our first, well, not of the year because we did one back in March. Probably, okay, technicality. Sorry, first of the season. I will first say. of the season. First basketball podcast of the season. Basketball's here and it, it's already happened, started. Hasn't happened. It's still going on. It's continuing. <laughs> it's a continuous thing. Um, but we've, we've been focused on football and, and we've, we didn't want to do too many of these basketball-only podcasts while football season was going on. Um, can kind of get hectic doing that. But Ducks have played five games on the season. We felt like this was a perfect starting point to do it. We've got some data to look at for Oregon. Signing day is just wrapping up uh, for Oregon for the 2019 recruiting class. So there's a lot to get to in, in this one. And, and we should say when we were recording this podcast, the Ducks just landed their highest four-star prospect ever to commit to the basketball program and C.J. Walker, so we'll break that down as well. That's a crap to way of saying it, the highest four-star rated. <laughs> I like it. Well, I mean, there's, there's <laughs> six five-stars that have committed to Oregon. He's the highest four-star player to ever commit, uh, So, and he's pretty close to being a five-star. And he very well could be by the time the rankings are Very true, else. very true. Uh, Ducks are, like we said, four and one uh, on the season. They have lost to Iowa in Madison Square Garden in New York in the 2K Empire Classic semifinals, and then they proceeded to, to blow out um, Syracuse, who at the time was uh, 14th in the country. They've now since fallen out of the rankings. Um, but Oregon, they've got wins over uh, Portland State, Eastern Washington, Syracuse, and now most recently they've got a win uh, over Wisconsin Green Bay, a team that kind of gave them fits when maybe they necessarily shouldn't we'll have, talk about that a little later. have had it as as close as it sh- as it ended up being. Um, overall, though, I think five games into the season, we kind of know what Oregon is, who Oregon is, but at the same time, a lot of our concerns, a lot of our questions, a lot of our thoughts on this team are listed as TBA to be announced. Uh, because we're waiting on the health of Will Richardson, a freshman guard that was a top 50 prospect. Dana Altman's already glowing about him, but he's on a minutes restriction because of a foot injury that happened during training camp, and he missed 17 days of practice. And then also the debut that we haven't seen yet of five-star prospect Lewis King, who's the fifth highest player to ever sign with Oregon. Um, He's the second highest guy in the 2018 recruiting class that just bull bull. He has yet to play a game in the first five because of a knee injury he suffered in high school in around December, January, That around that period of time last season. He's getting closer to playing. Uh, Oregon expects, hopes he's back sometime in December. We don't know an exact definitive date yet, uh, but we're waiting on those two guys' health and, and then getting them up to speed and fully immersed within the program and, and, and practicing games till we can finally make a final judgment of this Oregon team. But... That being said, we do have some ideas of, of where this team is at five games in. I think, and you have to start with Bull Bull. He is unlike anything Oregon has ever had. He's unlike, honestly, anything I've seen from a college player. Um, he is a remarkable talent. And honestly, he might have, through five games, kind of, oh, he's almost better than I expected. I mean, the expectations were obviously sky high. I thought there was a chance he was going to struggle, have a difficulty adapting to the college game. He even said he had, um, I believe that was after the Syracuse game, he said that the college game is, is faster, it's more physical, it's, you know, I'm still getting acclimated to it. 
It hasn't really slowed him down, though. He's averaging 19 points, 9.8 rebounds, 3.2 blocks. He's shooting 55% from the field, 43 from the three-point line, 76% from the free throw line. He is incredibly skilled. There are times where he doesn't, he isn't quite as involved offensively or defensively as you'd like. At the same time, there are times where you go, just throw him the damn ball. Because when he gets the ball within eight feet of the basket, he's going to score like 80% of the time. And he's got incredible touch. He can score you know, difficult shots. I mean, the, the, um, the level of difficulty on some of these like turnaround fadeaways he's shooting, even though no one is, I mean, no, no one's guarding him as seven foot two, although I guess Syracuse did have a guy about that size. But he's still, I mean, these are tough shots, and he's putting them in with relative ease. He's had a couple pull up three pointers he's hit. He's had a, against Syracuse, he had that kind of in the lane floater, yeah. which usually like a Tony Parker would shoot, and, he's, and this is a seven foot two guy shooting, and he missed it. and He's so long, he literally just kind of followed with his hand up and just dropped it in. Um, he is a unique talent, and honestly, there's probably not a lot of teams in the country that have an answer for him. No. You know? and, and, it, and it comes down to his focus and his mentality, but he is extremely talented. He's extremely fun to watch. If you're an Oregon sports fan and you haven't gone watch the basketball team, he's worth the price of admission in my mind. He is very, very unique physically. His legs are probably about taller than you. I was gonna say, yeah, I probably come up to like mid waist, I think, and I'm six. Foot They're definitely five. taller than me, and I'm and I'm six foot one. Um, but you know, he is unique, and he has been, you know, I think again, I think he's probably almost surpassed the expectations I had for him at this stage. The rest of the team, I think, there's a lot of question marks though. Yeah, going into the year, it was he's a unicorn like Chris Boucher. He's Chris Boucher is nothing, nothing like, like nothing like, like Bobo. And that I think that speaks volumes because that's not saying how bad Chris Boucher was or you know he, he's not he's he's not a good player. Boucher was a, was an NBA draft pick before he got hurt, right. and Bull Bull blows his skill set, his athleticism out of the water. Um, and you nailed it on the head that Bull Bull's success and quite honestly, it could be linked to Oregon's success this season. Could be. Of can you get Bull Bull to to play tough, physical, and competitively night in and night out, and have him locked in, focused wise? Uh, because if he does have issues where you know if the ball doesn't go his way, if he's running up and down the court, look, this happens. This isn't just Bull Bull. This happens to every big man. Sure. If they have to run up and down the court constantly and they don't get the ball, they don't touch the ball. It's not not shooting. They just don't have an opportunity to, to see the ball come their way. They get frustrated. They lose interest. And it, it's just basketball. It's just a part of basketball. You have to feed your big guys because if you don't, you're gonna they're gonna lose interest in the game because they're lumbering up and down the court. And you look at Bull Bull. He's not your typical. Chris Christofferson, who is seven foot two and three hundred and thirty-five <laughs> right. pounds, and you know wasn't the most physically fit guy. Um, I'm not saying Bull is either, because Dana Altman came out after the fifth game of the year and said Bull's not in condition right. enough he, yet. He like collapsed one to, time to, after coming off the court after picking up a foul. That yeah, been frustration, but he was really on his back for like fifteen seconds, and you're like, what's I mean, going on? Bull played a season high thirty three against Syracuse and thirty three against Green Bay, and almost too many. Minutes. And I feel like in both games. There were parts of each half and both of them. Um, he was very tired, mm-hmm. and it impacted his ability to make impacts on the game. Um, but that being said, against Syracuse and in the first half against Green Bay, when he didn't, when he wasn't tired, no one can stop him. Yeah. And the only thing that's going to stop him is Bull Bull. And Altman talked about uh, after the Green Bay game about how 
they posted him up quite a bit in that game. That was the most we've seen him post up in the low block. And he looked pretty good. But Altman, typical Altman, said there's still a lot more there that he can improve upon. He can be more physical. And I think the next step for, for Bull Bull in his evolution and, and quite honestly him showing that he can live in the NBA as well is that low post game. And he's putting the ball on the floor probably one too many times uh, when he gets it. Take one power dribble and then drop step and go. Don't take two or three like he has been the last couple of games. And he's committed, what is it, six turnovers in his last two games. Yeah, he's been getting swept a lot. He had four in his first game of the season. And he and Bulls even come out and said that, hey, this, this game is different. It's more of a challenge than I was expecting because the high school level, I, I could just rely on athleticism and, and my height. And that's not the case anymore. He's got to have a lower base. He's got to be stronger. But like you said... He's everything that you would want and more so far with what you would expect of a five-star guy. He's averaging 19 points, nine, nine, almost 10 rebounds a game. Uh, I believe he's blocking three shots a game. He's, he's, he's shot 64% and 66% in his last two games of the season uh, on the year. He's shooting, what is it, 54. 54%. He's shooting 43% from three. Uh, free throw percentage pretty good at, at 76%. So this is a guy that's, look, the way he's playing right now, as long as Oregon doesn't lose uh, many games and they win the conference regular season title, he's going to be the Pac-12 player of the year. Yep. He's going to be a top 10 lottery pick. Um, but it's can he do this the rest of the way? And then, like you said, everything else on this Oregon team, there's a lot of question marks. I, I think it's very clear that they need help in ball handling. And that could come via Will Richardson when his minutes restriction is taken off. I think he's a very savvy player, to use Dane Altman's words. Um, he's better than expected as well. I, I wasn't quite expecting him to to be a guy that would potentially start. And I think you could make a case through five games that, you know what, when he's healthy, he might be a starting guy on this on this roster. Um, Peyton Pritchard has, has been solid. Uh, I, I don't know if, if Pritchard, though, is playing his best basketball yet. He's 18 against Green Bay, 18 against Syracuse. Um, Dane Altman has said he had the most shot attempts of the year against Green Bay. He shot the ball 11 times, but a lot of that didn't come until the second half when the game kind of got close. Um, Altman has talked a lot about how Oregon needs to get him more shots, and I think this is comes into with Will Richardson. I, I think Oregon's offense is going to be at their best when Peyton can bring the ball up, but then let Will Richardson kind of be the distributing point guard type guy and slide Peyton over to the two and let he's your best shooter let him help you with that shooting deficiency that you have with Richardson creating the looks we're projecting a little bit here I'm with you 100% I thought Richardson and and Pritchard together against Syracuse were fabulous I thought Richard was you know Richardson and I know he only had seven points but he had four assists four rebounds uh, one turnover but I thought that game against Syracuse he was just as integral yeah. in winning it as anyone on the team, probably besides Bull. Because his, stats should, his, his stats didn't show it, but he was, you watched the game, and Oregon played way better with him on the floor. And I think, again, like I was saying, I think we're projecting a little bit here because we don't we haven't seen King play yet, but if he's what we expect he can be, in, and even if he's a little bit lower than that, I think Oregon's best lineup long-term would be Pritchard Richardson in the backcourt, King at the small forward, Wooten, at power forward and bull bull at the five. We haven't even talked about, by the way, the fact that Oregon's starting three guys six nine and tall. Right? Which is, 
which is huge. Which you know, yeah, it's college basketball. Basketball in general has gone to a smaller. Oregon's going bigger, and, and honestly, and, and again, I don't want to be too critical on, on guys, but I think Paul White playing the small four position, it's been kind of hit or hit or miss. You know, the the first two games he played pretty well. I think you saw some um, some really nice things from him offensively. The last three, he's been I don't know how to say it, he's been really bad. He's he's shooting. Um, Five for twenty-two in the last three games. One for nine from three. Uh, he has four turnovers and one assist. I, it just hasn't been great, and I think you, his veteran experience is is, is going to be critical at some point this season. But I think at some point, and I think Luke King is probably whenever he returns, and it probably won't be right away. I'm guessing it'll take take three or four games before King starts, and it might take longer before Richardson starts, just because they're still working through with Ehab Amin and Victor Bailey still getting a bunch of minutes, but. I think eventually that that's going to be their best lineup. I think that's going to provide the best scoring punch, the most length, the most offensive skill. I mean, that's a really skilled. You look, you look at that lineup. You take Kenny Wooten out of the discussion, but the other four guys, Peyton Pritchard, Will Richardson, Luke King, Bull Bull, those guys all have offensive skill sets yeah. that belong in the NBA. Those are NBA caliber offensive players, and I think that group would be an absolute nightmare. And you still would have five really, really good players coming off the bench because we haven't even talked about I think Abu Kijab is maybe the most impressive, oh, yeah. biggest surprise of the season uh, so far. I know he's only playing 17 minutes a game, but uh, the, against, the, against Green Bay, he yeah. was critical in that game. And it, and it's it's, I said this on Twitter that he look he's not the perfect player. No, no way. And he's not going to be an All Pac-12 player. But some guys are just super important and i hate the term glue guy seth davis uses that all the time but it's, it's fair here it's fair here he is a guy that puts oregon all together and keeps them together because he can play forward he can play guard he can guard point guards he can guard power forwards he can go he can guard kind of the smaller center type guys he's a swiss army knife for dane altman and most importantly he's this team does not have an alpha Alpha dog, and yeah. I think you know. You look at the Final Four team. You look at the Elite Eight team. Dylan Brooks was the alpha, and Dylan Brooks was a guy that you know, very good with the media. But you, you know, I could qu- clearly understand if you were an, a fan of an opponent or a player for someone not on Oregon, you would look at Dylan Brooks and you would say that guy's kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and but at the same time, but he's our dick, and we love him. That's that, <laughs> that, that was the Oregon mentality with Dunbrooks. But at the same time, good teams need guys that say, "Screw your emotions, screw your feelings. I want to win. I want us to be at our best." And so I'm going to say things that may hurt your feelings, but need to be said or need to happen. So that we get to a level that we need to be at, and I don't know if Oregon has that dog or that alpha on this team that Dylan Brooks brought to the table, and I think Jordan Bell was in, in a sense kind of like that as well. Um, and you could argue Tyler Dorsey was kind of like that as well. Um, I don't know if Oregon has that guy yet. Abu might be the closest thing to it because. He doesn't care about his role. He doesn't care about scoring. All he wants is have this team win. And you need guys that are energy guys that are that when when practice is going slow, the clap you know bark up and speak up and get things going. When games are sluggish, and we saw that in the fifth game, and we also saw that in New York. He's had three really good games. Uh, and the stats, that, you know, you look at the points and 
He only scored three points against Syracuse, but he had three assists. He had a couple rebounds. He had some good defensive plays in that game. He had a three. He had a three. That was a really monumental play at Which the time. Is, I think maybe his like first collegiate three almost. Yeah, it's his first one of the year. Um, and then against Green Bay, he had nine points. Sec- or had seven second chance points against Green Bay. All of them were from him. Mm-hmm. He had an offensive rebound, put back, layup, reverse, all in one, mo- all in one motion on, in the first half. In the second half, he grabbed a, a three-point miss and got, got the rebound, got fouled, made the layup, made the free throw for the three-point play. The, the very next possession got another offensive rebound and got a layup and scored as well. And then later on in that second half, he, he added another layup. And that was a pretty impressive drive, too. Yeah, and so I think... Abu is, I think he's a guy that last year people were like, he's not Pac-12 level. He's not good enough to be here. He's going to get surpassed recruiting-wise. He's not perfect. But at the same time, he's what this Oregon team needs more of. And I think as long as he continues to do what he does, he's going to see the field, see the court, excuse me, and he's going to play a lot. I think we've seen it in, in a couple games now where Things aren't going right. Oregon can't score. And while he's not a guy that can create his own shot, really, Oregon throws him out there because he plays hard, he's intense, and he's a guy that just gets things done. He's a doer. He gets things done. Yeah, and I think one of the – I mean, I'll be very curious to see what the rotation looks like with him, King, White, and I guess you can throw Wooten and Okoro in there in terms of kind of a small forward, power forward. I guess a key jab and King can kind of play the two as well if you really want to go big. I mean, they could play, they could literally go 6'5 with Richardson, 6'7 with key jab, 6'9 King, 6'9 White or Wooten, and 7'2 with Bull, and that would be just a massive lineup, but they could do it. Um, but I'll be very curious to see what his role is. I, mean, I think the rotation stuff is really what's interesting because there, there are 10 guys right now that probably are deserving of minutes. And somebody's going to kind of get left out. We've seen Okoro over the last three or four games be that guy. I know some of that's he's been dealing with an injury, but uh, I think his upside's huge. I think he's going to have important roles in games this year at some point, just with his ability to rebound and, and be big and, and block shots and, and finish around the basket. This is a very interesting team. There's a lot of pieces to it. There's a lot of unique pieces to it. Oregon's never really had a bull bull before. I think you'd argue they've they've never really had. A player kind of like a Coro, just in terms of his size and rebounding ability. Probably never had a player exactly like Luke King. Um, Kenny Wooten, obviously, is sort of a Jordan Bell, but he's a very unique player. There's just a lot of unique pieces to work with here. And Oregon can go big, and they can go very big. They can go smaller, um, with maybe Wooten playing at center and, and a key jab at, at small four, which is probably closer to the old Jordan Bell, Dylan Brooks kind of rotation during those final four and lead eight runs. Um, so they can just do a lot of different things. So it would be really interesting to see how this progresses. It'll be interesting to see how they finish up non-conference play once they're at full strength with King coming back. Um, there aren't a ton of tests on the schedule left in non-conference play. They've got three road games, which is which is nice to see because previously they played basically every game at home. But at Houston on December 1st is going to be a nice test. At Baylor on December 21st will be a nice test. And at Boise State on December 29th will be another nice test. So three chances to see what they've got on the road. Um, and then a bunch of home games against weaker competition, Texas Southern, Omaha, San Diego, Boise State, Florida A&M um, from there. But strangely, Boise State, they played twice. I didn't make a mistake reading the schedule. It's <laughs> one of those weird, it's an oddity on the scheduling. I've never seen a team play a home and home in the same season, but they do that this year. Um, there's a lot of opportunities in this non-conference schedule, I think, to to kind of show some stuff. And, and I'll be very curious to see, especially once King comes back here in the next couple of games, what that looks like, how this stuff plays out. And I'm sure Dana Altman chief, chiefly is the person going like, 
what are we going to do? Yeah. Because they can go, like I said, they could probably have 13 different starting lineups and all of them would be decent. Oregon has three games in the next 18 days. Which is and very spaced out. And we're recording this podcast on 21st of November. So uh, when it's published, it's going to be a little bit shorter than that. But they're, they're going to have a window basically of 18 days with three games. And this is an opportunity for Oregon to make a huge jump in terms of their skill development and how they look on the court. They play Texas Southern on the 26th. They play at Houston on the 1st of December. And then they play at home against Nebraska-Omaha on December 8th, which is a Saturday. So they play a Monday game, a Saturday game, and then another Saturday game. And this is going to be Oregon's chance to make a huge leap because they're going to have a lot of practices in between each game, probably four or five per per game. And that's... You know, that's the thing in college basketball because you play so many games, you, know, you get two practices usually before your next game. Um, Oregon now is going to have four or five games, four or five days of practice before each game. They're going to have film of five games to go back and look at, one of which is a loss, something that Dana Altman said after, text, after uh, excuse me, Green Bay, that you, know, you learn the most after a loss. Hopefully our team can learn from a win. Um, and, and so seeing how this team progresses and can take the criticisms and, and film reviews and uh, make their adjustments and, and then health-wise as well, you know, look, every game there's going to be guys that get some kind of ding. And, you know, can this team get healthy now back, you know, close to where they were 100% at the start of the season? Um, when does, like you mentioned, rotations start, you know, happening when, when Luke King comes back? Um, I think Oregon's... They're probably not playing the best basketball right now in the Pac-12, but I think when they have played their best, it's pretty clear they're the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah, um, they're the highest upside. There's yeah, no they, they have the highest upside. They've got the best in-game coach with the best talent. Um, and so I, I think Oregon's kind of right around where they should be. Almost teams typically struggle early on, especially teams with new, new pieces in critical spots. And we should note that if you're a big believer in analyticals, numbers and, st- and stats and kenpalm.com which is you know, one of the leaders in analytical stats uh, they currently project Oregon to have a 50% chance or better to win every remaining game on the schedule crazy and you know they're, they're projecting a couple of those losses to happen because you know 53% chance of winning on the road you know and Oregon's not going 33 and one right Oregon's not going to It'd be thirty and one. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> I was talking about the conference championship. But that just tells that just tells you though of kind of where Oregon's at in terms of talent. That they have talent on this team where every time out on the court right now, as of now, analytically, they should be favored in every game. And that's I think that, you know, are they gonna beat a team like Duke? Probably not. But I think this is a team that at its highest peak they can get to the final four. And then now it's going to be starting now getting themselves ready and, and to that level that's needed to get there. Can they? That's going to be the question and kind of what jumps do this, does this team make in the next 18 days of basketball uh, in the month of the, in end of November, early December going into Pac-12 play. Let's switch gears and talk a little recruiting yeah. since Oregon has just finalized and, and as we said, C.J. Walker literally announced while we were recording 
a previous podcast on football a couple minutes before, and Matt somehow, I want to give him credit here, he literally posted a story while the podcast was running. I think I must have been talking, or else you were like multitasking incredibly. I don't know how he did it. But yeah, CJ Walker, and he's 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 a big-time recruit. He's the highest-rated recruit in the four-man signing class. I don't know if we have indication of whether or not Walker has signed. It's still within the window, so it's possible he has. But Oregon announced three signings, I believe, on Monday. And uh, Walker is the highest rated of the group, and I think it's a really nice class. It's 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 not quite yet up to the standard of last year's class, where it was close. Second it's or third. seventh in the it's country, seventh nationally, but there isn't that five star guy sure. yet. Sure. And Walker, like we said earlier in the podcast, could become that. He's currently rated thirtieth nationally um, by the composites, a couple spots away from being a five star. But currently, four commitments, three guys that are uh, prep recruits in the four star range, and then arguably the top. Juco player and Chris Duarte. I think this is a really nice class coming off of a fabulous class last year, and it, you don't know who's coming back and, and kind of how all that's going to play out, but Oregon could be really, really good in 2019-2020 as well. We should, men- <clears throat> we should mention that Isaac Johnson, a four-star prospect from American Fork High School in Utah, he is going to take a religious mission after high school. Um, so sometime in the spring of 2019, he will head off somewhere to complete a two-year mission, and then we'll come back and join the Ducks for the 2021 season. Uh, so he's counting towards the 2019 class, but he will not enroll into school until 2021. And that kind of basically, from a recruiting ranking fan perspective, is like the perfect scenario because <laughs> you get a top 75 recruit to count towards your class, and he doesn't impact your scholarships at all because Oregon basically says, hey, we've signed him, we've announced him, He's, he's told us he's coming. He's from Oregon originally. Grew up 16 years in the state of Oregon. Which I wasn't aware of until yeah. Dana said that earlier. Yeah. Um, and he said all intents and purposes, his older brother signed with Weber State and then went on a mission and then went went to Weber State. Mom and dad love us. Mom and dad has, has told us that you know his their youngest son is going to do the same thing. So all intents and purposes, Oregon's expecting him and has no fears of him going elsewhere after that Mormon mission is over. But he counts towards the 2019 recruiting rankings but doesn't use a scholarship. So Oregon has four guys committed, but they're really only using three of the four scholarships that they have available uh, definitively for the 2019 season. So they've got one more still left in their pocket to use. And that, possibly an extra. Okay. And then, then there's Bull Bull, who Dan Altman's gone on record saying that you know when he signed, he would be utterly shocked that it came back for a second year. So I think you can, you can see... There's five. You can safely say there's five scholarships available. So, so they've got two guys, two spots left to fill. Uh, Chris Duarte is a guy that Dan Altman's very, very high on. And when he spoke about his versatility of he can play multiple positions, he, he likened his athletic ability to an Elgin Cook. Uh, didn't say that he's a similar player in that you know Elgin could guard basically one through five. Uh, Chris Duarte is probably going to be more of a, a uh, one through four type of versatile player. He can play point. He can play forward. He, uh, he said that he's more skilled, more advanced than Elgin was when he came in to Oregon. Um, Elgin really just developed himself really well in his three yeah, years. And, and, and honestly, even when he left, he wasn't super advanced. Right. Um, but Duarte is is a guy that Oregon feels like is the best junior college player in the country. He's second best by the twenty four seven Sports composite. So you look at that three star ranking and. You maybe think, oh, he's he's not pretty good. He's he's really good, and he does everything for his JUCO team, which is in a really really tough league nationally. Uh, that that league always has at least twenty guys playing Division One basketball, 
Um, and then you've got Chandler Lawson, a power forward from, from Memphis, Tennessee, who, ironically enough, said no thanks to playing with two of his brothers at Kansas to come to Oregon. Um, the Lawson, Dietrich, and I think KJ Lawson yeah. are, are, are currently juniors and sophomores at, at Kansas and probably were, are coming back next season. And he, you know, Chandler could have played with his two older brothers, and he said no, uh, and went to Oregon. Interesting that Altman called him a, a pure power forward. Yeah, I, I would have thought he was more of a, a three than a four, to right. be honest with you. But he did say that, and he, he complimented his rebounding, which I watched his highlight tape, and maybe it's it wasn't dunks. indicative. <laughs> it was all dunks and mid-range jump shots, and I thought he was kind of more of a perimeter guy. And so that kind of makes you reevaluate a little bit of, of what you see with him. But I think you they needed some depth up front with the possibility of losing as many as three of those guys with Wooten and King possibly going as well. Obviously, King can play small forward, but I think it's a really nice addition. I, I think he's got great physical attributes in terms of his length and his athleticism. Um, another really nice piece for this Oregon team. And I do think I think, I think think he could probably play on the court with – I could probably be a third forward, I think, if you wanted to play small forward too. And then there's um, obviously C.J. Walker. And this is the seventh highest player to ever commit to Oregon – a guy that at one point was a five-star is probably going to be, throughout the entire year, a five-star caliber guy. He's going to be on that fringe the entire entire year. Um, he's probably going to play in some kind of All-American game, whether that's the, the Under Armour, I mean, not the Under Armour, but the All-American, McDonald's All-American game or the Jordan brand game or possibly Nike Hoop Summit or possibly the Ball's Life All-American game. You know, There's going to be a game out there that he will play in. Uh, you feel pretty certain about saying that, um, and you you see the reasonings why he picked Oregon. Uh, Brian Snow of, of our site Twenty Four Seven Sports spoke with um, one of his his mentors, Marcus Robinson, who's his personal coach and mentor. And he said, you know, a big role was point guard position. And I'm going to read the quote here. Point guard play also played a big role. We wrote down how often the point guards had the ball in their hands. And Peyton Pritchard was the one who got a lot of people involved. Well, Peyton will shoot it if he's open, which we want. We wanted more of a pass-first guard, and we felt that he was the best person to make everybody better. So Oregon has a guard in their system. He's obviously expecting Peyton Pritchard to come back. I don't think that's a big surprise. No. Uh, but That's also, by the way, highly complimentary of Peyton Pritchard. Yes. And he should feel good about that. The coaching staff owes him a commission check if that was legal. <laughs> if, if that, that was, was legal. If that was legal, which it's not, <laughs> as the FBI has established. <laughs> Uh, and then, obviously, I, I'd spoken to Robinson once, and he told me that Oregon's pitch was unlike any others and kind of negated all the, the why do you want to go to Oregon? It's so far away talk. Because Oregon hit him with, who cares where you go to school when you're only going to be at that school for one or two seasons? Why does it matter if, if, if you're not going to be there for very long? Clearly, Oregon's looking at him as an NBA guy, as a one-and-done or a two-and-done type guy. Walker thinks of himself in the same way. He's got the athleticism to get there. Now it's, can you put the skill together? And that's kind of the leap he's made in the last six months or so. He took a huge jump in the rankings. I think he jumped like 80 spots in the composite ranking this summer when he got out on the AAU circuit and evaluators got to go and watch him. This is a huge get. Uh, You know, people... People are looking at it as, you know, it's a big get, but I don't think people truly understand. This is a big-time get. Oregon, Oregon is turning into a machine now, recruiting-wise. 
This is their third straight year. They finished with a top 15 class. They're probably going to finish. Obviously, spring signings can impact things here a little bit. But this is going to be their second straight year, most likely, where they finish inside the top 10. Maybe, and, maybe second within the top five. And it might be top five if a guy like Cassius Stanley, who's another borderline five-star, or Cole Anthony, who's the third best player in the country or fourth best now player in the country, if one of those two guys pops to Oregon, or if both pop, if, if one pops, they're in the top five. If if both pop, which is a, which is a realistic scenario, yeah, not impossible. Uh, it's probably not the most likely, but it's it's up there, high percentage. If both pop, they may have the best class in the country. It, it, it's just shaping up that way where. And it's, it's funny. I saw this on Twitter, and I 100% agree. And I have – look, I, I don't want to – I'm not making, not making fun of Dan Altman, but he's the most boring coach. He is. And yet somehow a guy that doesn't care about Twitter, doesn't care about rotation, you know, doesn't care about lineups, and that, you know, doesn't hype anybody – on his, you know, he's not a salesman. He's a basketball well, coach. For reference, Bull Bull, uh, he's pretty good. He's got a lot of upside <laughs> offensively. He's a unique player, but he's still got all the work to do. He doesn't work very hard. And that's literally his assessment of probably the most talented <laughs> player he'll ever coach. And this guy is killing it on the recruiting trail. I think you have to give credit to his staff. And I think that approach is what's probably helping Oregon be so successful because he's brutally honest and he he's not going to sugarcoat things. To get guys, and he's not going to sugarcoat got things when that guy gets there. He, I mean, Bull Bull had one of his best games at Oregon. It's five games in, and that that statement doesn't make a lot of sense. But had a really dominant performance against Green Bay, and I asked him. It seems like he made a concerted effort to get him posting up, and he did well. And the first thing he said was he can get a lot better. And I think that's probably why guys are gravitating towards Oregon because you look at the Walker commitment, you look at Chandler Lawson. Bull Bull, Troy Brown, everybody before that, you know, in the last two or three years, they're committing to Oregon because they're saying they've looked at what Dana Altman and his staff have done in terms of developing a Jordan Bell, developing a Dylan Brooks, and a Tyler Dorsey, and a Chris Boucher, and getting them into the NBA. And now Oregon's being able to say, well, we've got success. We've got a guy on a team that's won an NBA championship, probably going to win a second one this year. Dylan Brooks was a starter as a rookie. Tyler Dorsey played a lot as a, as a rookie as well for the Hawks. Chris Boucher, he destroyed his knee just before the end of the regular season and still found a way into the NBA because of his talents. Come to Oregon. We'll get you ready. We may not be the, the, the Calipari's or the Sean Miller's or the Roy Williams or the Krzyzewski's that hype, hype their freshmen up and give these sound bites and, and quick quotes and all that, but they get you ready for the NBA, and it's starting to pay dividends. We're starting to see that trickle down for Oregon where top guys – every year now not only say that they want to go to Oregon they're following through and signing with Oregon really just a quick aside here but I think this is really interesting you're seeing a really strong year for the West Coast recruiting in terms of the schools five four sorry four of the top seven recruiting classes right now belong to teams on the West Coast number one USC is top nationally number three is Arizona number four is Gonzaga Oregon is at seven that's pretty impressive right there. The, the, the West Coast is starting to figure things out. They're starting to realize, I don't think that location doesn't matter to a lot of these guys like you talked about earlier. These guys play AU everywhere. These guys are going to try to play. The ultimate goal is to play in the NBA. That's a situation where you have no control where you live. And, and it's been impressive to see the conference do so well. And, and for Oregon to have 
basically four four-star recruits right now and have the third best class in the conference behind USC who has two five-stars and a three-star and Arizona who has two five-stars, a four-star and a three-star. It's it's you know it's going to be fun to see this conference develop around it because last year Oregon really was kind of a standalone in the conference. Yeah, like, UCLA had a strong class, but it wasn't quite Oregon's level. This year you could conceivably have three or four of the top five or six classes um, out west with Gonzaga also having five four stars right now. So it's an exciting time if you're I think a West Coast basketball fan. And, and again, like you said, Oregon's ceiling in this class remains sky high. There's a lot more work they can do. That's going to do it for us on the Duck Territory Basketball Podcast. Make sure to find us on iTunes by just searching for the Duck Territory Podcast. Please give us a review. Uh, We'll do these basketball podcasts probably once a week, uh, maybe every other week, kind of assessing the the team, where they're going, where things are going. Recruiting-wise, we'll discuss as well. Basketball season is here. Go to DuckTerritory.com for your full coverage of this basketball team. Uh, And then for Eric and myself, thanks for listening. Have a great uh, week. Have a great December. Uh, Be safe out there, and we'll talk to you sometime uh, soon. Thanks for listening. Adios.